right, good evening. Welcome to Bible study. Tonight we're in the 16th chapter of the book of Judges. And this is the continued uh, saga of Samson. And tonight we're going to look at one of the more, I'll say, famous or infamous stories in the Bible. And there's the story of Samson and Delilah. Um, I'm going to uh, pray right quick and then we'll get into this. Uh, got some opening comments and then we'll get into the study. So let us pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, which is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. Father, I pray and ask you to bless our time in your word tonight. Fill me with your spirit to teach this text well. To show how all this points to Jesus Christ as the greater and better Samson. And Lord, help us to see our sins. Lord, help us to see our need for a Savior. Lord, also help us to know you more and better throughout this text. And Lord, send your spirit to illuminate the truth to us tonight that we will hear. Lord, just refresh us and just bless us. By the means of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So as I was saying. Uh, you know, I remember growing up. Going to church. And uh, hearing the story of Samson and Delilah. I think most of you all uh, have too. Those who are in here. And those who are uh, watching on, uh, on Facebook. I'm sure most of us have heard about the story of Samson and Delilah. You know about Samson's long hair and, and and Delilah. You know finding out his the secret to his strength and and him giving it away and and him having you know uh, his haircut and all that different stuff and him going to the temple and pushing the pillars apart and killing everyone in there, including himself. So I'm sure many of us heard that story. And I remember hearing it growing up, either like a vacation Bible school lesson or a Sunday school lesson or something like that. I remember. The story of Samson and Delilah. And of course as a Christian. For the last 32. Going on 33 years. I've heard this story. Uh, also I haven't heard a sermon on it yet. Um, I haven't heard a Bible study on it. But I have read it. You know like reading through the Bible in a year. And all those things. I've read uh, about Samson and Delilah. But as I've grown in the Lord. I've um, began to see this story. In a new light other than what is popularly uh, said about it most people focus on the fact that you know Samson had his long hair and that his hair was cut and he lost his strength and that Samson was a uh, you know, I mean Delilah you know that name is kind of one of those names that you don't want to name your daughter after because of her reputation just like uh, I don't think anyone would name their daughter Rahab who was the prostitute that we read about in the book of Judges although Rahab is listed in the genealogy of Christ because she had faith in the God of Israel but still nobody would name their daughter Rahab and I don't think many parents perhaps there are some out there who named their daughter Delilah but I know that I would not <laughs> so that's not necessarily a good thing so as is customary we're going to look at this passage with each uh, section and again, we see the consequences of Samson's 
sin against God and his compromise, him violating his Nazarite vow that he had taken uh, before the Lord. We, 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 we still uh, see the obvious uh, sin that he commits against the Lord. So verses 1 through 3 say this. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went in to her. When the Gazites, the Gazites rather, these were people from Gaza, were told Samson has come here. They surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night saying in the morning when it is daylight we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gate posts, pulled them apart, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces heaven. So again, we see here that Samson saw a harlot in Gaza. He saw her there and he went into her. Went into her means that he had relations with her that he was not supposed to do because this woman first, she was a harlot. She was not one of God's uh, people. So that was a violation right there in a couple of ways. That was a violation in a couple of ways. One, she was a harlot and two, she wasn't of the people of Israel. So this is a clear example of how a man so used by God can sin and sin blatantly because remember why God raised up Samson that was to defeat the Philistines a man so used by God sinning blatantly he wanted to be used by God but he also yielded to the deceitfulness of sin and that's what we see in Samson he kept the external features of the Nazarite vow by not cutting his hair because you remember um, the, the angel told his mother that a razor should not be put to his his head so he grew his hair out long he fulfilled that part of the Nazarite vow but he sinned blatantly with the prostitute he did what nearly all of us do when we are deceived by sin sin is very deceptive and and, and sin doesn't relent in his temptation in tempting us our enemy the adversary Satan does not relent when he's tempting us with sin so some people think that there are certain categories of sin that God cares about and then there are some that he does not care about but we have to understand this about the Lord Jesus Christ Christ is Lord over all of our life he has claim over our entire life it is a different change of perspective that life takes on when we become Christians. Because what many people do, they believe with error about there's some type of sacred secular divide in our life. Some people think that, you know, you got the secular part of your life, like your job and, you know, your family and all that stuff. And then you got your sacred part, you know, your your church attendance and your praying and Bible reading and all this, all those things, all the religious things, so to speak. Many people divide their lives into that, but that is not the Christian life. 
all of our life belongs to Christ. All of our life is a life of worship. All of our life is. Is a life of worship. Not just some parts. But all. So Samson, he kept the Nazarite vow, which was the outward part. But the inward part of his life was still evil and corrupt. His heart was evil and corrupt. His heart was evil and corrupt. So that's what we see with him. But God wants to be master over all of our life. We can't hide certain parts from him. So that's what we see with Samson. So despite his sin, God still gave Samson supernatural strength because what did he do? He took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the gate posts. He pulled them up, the bar and all, and put them on his shoulders. And why did God do this? Because God's purpose was bigger than Samson. God's purpose was bigger than Samson himself. Now, God used Samson despite his sin. Despite his sin. Not because of it. God used Samson despite his sin. God used all of us. We're all sinners. God uses us to fulfill his purpose on this earth in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. In being his disciples. Being his ambassadors. We are representatives of God's kingdom. God uses us despite our sins. Because honestly, none of us are worthy candidates for God to use. Our worth comes in the fact that we're in Christ and that Christ is ours. Our worth is in the fact that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Our worth comes from Christ, not from us because we have no worth in us inherently because we're sinners. So God uses us despite our sin. And he used Samson despite his sin to destroy the Philistines. So now we get to the story of Delilah. <clears throat> so verse 4 says, Afterwards it happened that he, this is Samson, so first he had the prostitute. says that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him and every one of us will give you 1100 pieces of silver wow so Samson fell in love again and this time he fell in love with the woman who was not right for him an ungodly woman a Philistine again remember he married a Philistine then he had the prostitute that we read uh, a few verses before this and now Delilah so this is another example of the pain and ruin that came to Samson's life because he did not guard his heart as Christians we ought to guard our hearts because the heart is the seat the psalm at the, and the center of all we do we have to keep our heart. We have to guard it with everything that is within us. 
We have to guard our hearts. We have to we have to be careful because our hearts are deceitful above all things, as Jeremiah 17 says. Our heart is deceitful. Our heart is wicked. And we have to guard our hearts. Because we can be deceived by our hearts. So this is what we see with him. Pain and ruin came into his life. Why? Because he did not guard his heart. When we don't guard our hearts, people, it's going to lead to a life of pain and a life of ruin. It really is. And so they came to her and asked her to entice him. And what did they offer her? Lots of money. Delilah was deeply in love, but she was also in love with money. Not Samson. 1,100 shekels made up more than 140 pounds of silver. Remember, they lived in a uh, commodity culture. In, in other words, they didn't have like um, silver was uh, fungible. You could use it to buy things. It was the same as money. Now, silver wasn't gold, but it was still silver. And 1,100 shekels was about 140 pounds. That's a lot of silver. That's how much they offered her to deceive him. She loved money more than she loved Samson. So verse, what happens here? So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. <laughs> so the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. <laughs> so he lied. Okay, the source of Samson's strength was not obvious, so they had no idea. So he lied. Okay, Delilah knew that he was strong. But she also knew that he could be bound with something, but she didn't know what it was. So Samson was not honest with her. So she bound him. And guess what? It didn't work. So next time, verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. So this was the second time it happened. Now the third time, verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. Now think about think about the faith that she had to have in him. <laughs> that she was deceived three two times by him, and then she comes yet again. She must be really in love with this man. 
But what is Samson doing? He is deceiving her. Now, the, the sad thing about it is that, again, Samson would never have to worry about being in this situation if he didn't fall in love with the Philistine. A woman of Israel more than likely would not have even asked him that. But because he had this foreign woman, guess what? He's reaping the consequences of it. She keeps badgering him and asking him, what is the source of your strength? And you notice she's not telling him why. She's asking that. She's just asking him. Because remember, she made a deal with the, 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 the Philistine men for uh, what, 1,100 shekels of silver that if, if, if she found it out then, she would get this money. But she never disclosed it to Samson why she was asking. So here's the third time. Verse 13. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you've mocked me and told me no lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you were to weave the seven locks of my hair into the web of the loom. So now he goes to the hair. He goes from being bound with rope to his hair. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say, I love you? Hmm. When your heart is not with me. You have mocked me these three times and have not told me your great strength. Hmm. Now, she didn't care for him. She did not care for him at all. But she said, I love you. When your heart's not with me, how can you say that? Now, tragically, Samson's heart was with Delilah. That's the tragic part. That's the irony in it. But she was manipulative. How can you love me when your heart is not with me? That was a word of manipulation. She manipulated him. Because her heart was not with Samson, but she was asking his heart to be with hers, or to be with her. She didn't really care about Samson. Think about it. She just wants. She was just there for the money. So how she's go, how is she going to say? When your heart is not with me, her heart was not with him. Because she was manipulating him for what? For the money. How can she say that? Because she's been a hypocrite. And look, that's how deceitful sin is. That is how deceitful sin is. That's why we have to guard our hearts. You know, people can do this in relationships also. Manipulate people to get them to do things for them when they don't really care about them themselves. This is as old as human history as we can see that, that people, men can manipulate women or women can manipulate men in order to get things from them when they truly don't even care about them. Isn't that sad? But it does happen. It does happen. So, after much persistence from her, we get to verse 16. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily, there we go, with her words and pressed him. I, I, I did hear a preacher talk about this one time. He said, oh, so wives have been... Um, wives have been nagging their husbands for a long time <laughs> so she pestered he was, he was saying that as a joke so she pestered him 
I mean, she just kept daily asking him, just wearing him down. We're going to talk about the implications of that in a little bit. Would she pester him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her with all his heart? Now, before I get to this text, we have to understand something about our adversary. Satan is relentless. Now, Delilah is an agent of Satan. She's an agent of the devil. She's a Philistine. She's a pagan. She's not a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob like the Israelites are. She's a pagan. She, in this, in this passage right here, she is likened to our adversary, Satan. What does Satan do? He nags, he pursues, he pursues. If you think about Jesus in Matthew, the fourth chapter, when he was tempted by the devil in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, Satan came to Christ three different times, tempting him to bow down and follow him, basically. And each time Jesus rebuked him with his word. One thing about Satan, people, he is relentless in going after us. Look at 1 Peter 5. This is what Peter says uh, in the context of Christians being persecuted. Peter said this in 1 Peter 5 about our adversary, something that we must always remember. And then when I read this about Delilah, it reminded me of Satan. Peter says this, First uh, Peter 5 and 8. Turn to that right quick. Delilah is a picture of our adversary, the devil. Remember, Christ is the greater Samson. He's the sinless one who defeated God's enemies. First Peter 5 and 8. Remember, we're talking about our enemy, Satan, just like Delilah, the enemy of God's people, the enemy of Samson. She pretended to be loving him, but she really didn't. First Peter 5 and 8 this is what the Bible says. Be sober. Just us be sober, number one. And not only be sober, but be vigilant. Vigilant means aware, alert. Sober means like be self-controlled. As Christians, we ought to be self-controlled. We're not to be sporadic and just wild and just, you know, impulsive. We ought to exhibit self-control. And it's the reason why Peter's going to tell us this uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So first, these, this is a command to us. This is an imperative, beginning with the word be. So be sober, which means self-control. Be vigilant, which means watchful or alert. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 to, to walk circumspectly, redeeming the time for the days of evil. That means circumspectly means always aware, always alert about what's going on around you. We're not to walk around with our head in the sand. We as Christians ought to be alert about the temptations that come our way, alert about Satan's attacks on us and on other believers we ought to be aware we can't walk around with our heads in the air not being aware and being alert we have to be watchful so again 
He says, be sober, which means be self-controlled. And be alert, vigilant, which means watchful or alert. And why? He said, because. So why are we to be self-controlled? Why are we to have self-control and not be impulsive? Why are we to be watchful and alert, vigilant? Because your adversary, who? The devil. Now, the devil is God's devil. The devil is not stronger and mightier than God. The devil is God's devil. But he is our adversary. He is our enemy. And Satan, as an enemy, what does Peter say he do? Your adversary walks. That means he's active. He walks. He walks how? About. He walks about. Like a what? Roaring lion. What, was a, what does a lion do? A lion walks around looking for prey. A lion is a predator. He didn't say that he walks around like a cat or a dog. Those are not predatory animals. A predator is an animal that seeks prey. They hunt. They're hunters. A lion. What do they call the lion? The king of the jungle. So Satan, he walks around like a roaring lion. Some translators say he walks to and fro. He walks about like a roaring lion. And what does that roaring lion do? Seeking whom he may devour. Because that's what lions do. When lions kiss their prey, they don't play with them. You know, I remember growing up watching Mutual or Mutual of, of, of Omaha's Wild Kingdom on Saturdays. I just love watching Wild Kingdom. <clears throat> you know, they used to be out in the Serengeti and, you know, out in the jungles and all different parts of the world filming animals, filming lions and hyenas and elephants and gazelles being chased by cheetahs and leopards and, you know, all those predator cats, those big cats. They're all predators. And they would catch their prey and bite them in the neck. God taught them that because God made them. That's what they do. They, they bite them in the neck to, to subdue them. But that's what lions do. They're predators. Our adversary is a what? Predator. He is walking about. Now, we're not to fear Satan, but we ought to be what? Watchful. We ought to be alert. We ought to be sober, self-controlled, not impulsive. To be aware that we do have an adversary, that Satan does exist. And because he does, we have to be sober and alert and on the lookout for him because he is very sneaky. He's very conniving. He's very deceptive. He walks to and fro. Seeking whom he may devour. But what does the Bible tell us to do in verse 9? What does uh, 1 Peter 5 and 9 says? Are we to rebuke Satan? No. The Bible doesn't tell us to rebuke Satan. I rebuke you, devil. We can't rebuke Satan. Christ rebukes him for us. What does verse 9 say? What are those two words? Resist him. We're to resist they not rebuke him. We resist him steadfast in the faith. To resist means to stand up against. 
Now, the way to resist the devil is not with some special formulas or or special words, you know, directed at him, you know, rebuking him and his demons. But it's by remaining firm in your Christian faith. That's how we resist Satan. We remain firm in our faith. That means we continue to live in accord with the truth of God's word. When Satan attacks us, guess what? We stay on the word. We stay in the word. We stay on our knees. We, we, that's how we remain steadfast in our faith. Yes, is he going to attack us? Yes. In all different kinds of ways. But what do we do? Resist him. Steadfast. Planted in the faith. Planted in the word. Planted in Christ. All of us as believers have encountered Satan's attacks. If you haven't, you're not a believer. All of us have encountered Satan's attacks. If you're still here, it's by God's grace because you remain what? Steadfast in the faith. So that's how we resist him. As a believer knows sound doctrine and obeys God's truth, Satan is withstood. We, we know sound doctrine. And guess what? We can withstand any attack from Satan. Doesn't mean he's not going to come up against us. What did Job say? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So all this going back to Delilah. Delilah is like our adversary. She kept pestering him. Did Samson remain steadfast in the faith? No. Because what did he end up doing? Telling her. And we're going to see this. So the scripture says back in Judges here, verse 16, 17, 18. So he said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaving, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Well, they were eager then. Think, they didn't bring it the first three times, but they brought it this time because she said that he told her all his heart. Then she lowered him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off his seven locks on his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. That's something. She lowered him to sleep. It must have been a really deep sleep. So she pestered him daily. Now, earlier in Judges 14, Samson gave in to the nagging of his Philistine wife. In uh Chapter 14, verse 15 says here, It came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Then Samson's wife wept on him and, and, and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said, Look, I have not explained it to my father. Oh, my mother, so should I explain to you? 
Now she had wept on him seven days while the feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her. So his, his first wife did the same thing. She wept on him and nagged him for seven days until he told her what the riddle meant. And now we have Delilah pestering him about his strength. And guess what? He finally relents and gives in to it. Hmm. Yes, Delilah did sin by using manipulation. But Samson also sinned by yielding to that manipulation. Remember now, Delilah had no love for Samson. None. Mm-mm-mm. So he told her all his heart. <coughs> he had to know what was to come. He faced a choice between his faithfulness to God with that vow or continuing an ungodly relationship. He chose the latter to continue with that ungodly relationship. He could have told Delilah, I'm not going to tell you anything. Go your way. I'm going to be faithful to my God. He didn't even have to tell her the source of his strength. He didn't have to do that. Well, this is the consequence again. Now, Samson was the strongest man in the world. He was brought under the power. He was rendered weak under the power of an ungodly relationship. Man, that's a sermon all in itself. Christians, I talked about this earlier when we looked at chapter 14. When we are unequally yoked with unbelievers, it weakens us. It weakens our faith. It weakens our standing with the people. It weakens our standing with our family. Because you're not yoked together uh, rightly, so it's going to weaken you. That sin of being unequally yoked is going to weaken the person who is the believer. It's not going to make them stronger. Samson was weakened by the fact that he had this pagan wife, just as he was with the other pagan wife. It always weakens the believer when we become unequally yoked with unbelievers. So she lulled him to sleep on her knees. She used sweet words to lull him. Charles Spurgeon said this, and this is such a good uh, commentary. He said this on this verse. Charles Spurgeon said, as long as he is consecrated, he is strong. Break that. He is weak as water. Now, there are a thousand razors with which the devil can shave off the locks of a consecrated man without his knowing it. Samson is sound asleep. So clever is the barber that he even lulls him to sleep as his fingers move across the pate, the fool's pate, which he is making bare. The devil is more clever far than even the skillful barber. He can shave the believer's locks while he scarcely knows it. So he was saying that Satan is so deceiving. He's so evil. 
that he can be attacking us and taking our strength away from us without us even knowing it. I think Samson was so sleep that he didn't even feel the barber cutting his hair. They didn't have razors and stuff, you know, like the little zzz. No, they had like razors. I don't even know how sharp they were. But he was so sleep that he didn't know his hair was getting cut off. And then what happened after he got shaved? She began to do what? Torment him. And his strength left him. That's the sad thing. Now the magic was not in Samson's hair. We have to understand that. It was not in Samson's hair. Because we don't want to be superstitious. Samson had broken his Nazarite vow long before now. Spurgeon said about this, not that his hair made him strong, because it didn't, but that his hair was a symbol of his consecration and was the pledge of God's favor to him. While his hair was untouched, he was a consecrated man. As soon as that was cut away, he was no longer perfectly consecrated, and then his strength departed from him. So the hair represented him being consecrated to the Lord. Because his strength ultimately came from God and his obedience to him. So that's the sad thing about it. So now that Samson is weak, what happens? Verse 20. He's arrested. Samson is seized by the Philistines. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Wow. He didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. That's sad. He says, I will go out as before. He didn't know that things were different. Samson was compromised for so long that he thought that it would never make a difference. That's how compromised he was. That's how compromised believers can be. You can be so, you can be so compromised that you think everything's going to be the same as it was, even, even as you sin and rebel against God. And the thing is that he was going to try to go out in an attempt to do the work of God after God had withdrawn himself. It just wasn't going to work. This Samson's life is a cautionary tale for us as believers of wasted potential and the rejection of God's warnings. Samson thought he could get away with sin and escape his consequences. That's what he thought because that's why he kept trying to do all this stuff. What he did is what a lot of people do. They, they misinterpret God's delay of judgment. Remember, Samson married a Philistine. He's with a prostitute. And now he's with Delilah. Up to this point, in his mind, nothing has happened really terrible to him. Although things were falling all around him. But he misinterpreted the merciful delay of God's judgment. 
That was the problem. God doesn't always correct us right away. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to do it. God is, God is perfectly just. It's like the wicked. The wicked think they can get away with everything. Think they are getting away with everything. We you know we just read through Psalm 37 in church, our responsive reading, where David said, don't fret because of evildoers. Because they will soon be cut down like the grass. The, the wicked seem like they're getting away with things. So what Samson did, one of the other things he did wrong, wrong was he presumed on God's mercy. And he continued on in his sin, which made things worse. That is what unbelievers do. They say, oh, God is, you know, he, he's, he's, he's blessing me. I have all these material possessions. I must be good with God. I don't have to go worship God. Yes, look at all this stuff that I have. Look at all these blessings I have. That's, that's what you call presuming God's grace. Yeah, I got all this stuff. Yeah, I'm blessed. You got people that got tags that say I'm blessed. Got, uh, you know, tags on their car that say blessed. Got t-shirts that say I'm blessed. How you doing, man? I'm blessed. They say, they, they say they're blessed. And you know what they are. But what they're doing is presuming God's grace. Because they may say they're blessed, but what are they doing? They're continuing on in their sin. And what are they doing when they do that? They are heaping upon themselves more and greater judgment. And that's what Samson did. Samson kept heaping upon himself greater judgment. That's why I said what the scripture says here. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Remember, Samson's strength was not in his head. That's why I said, you know, this story, you know, when it was told growing up, you know, that's, that's what I thought. His strength was in his head. You, you cut his head, you cut his strength, you know, some type of superstition thing. But Samson's strength was not in his hair. It was in his relationship with God. He worked against that so much to the point that God had finally departed from him. That he no longer blessed Samson with supernatural strength. This is the tragedy of the wrath of abandonment. Sometimes God, sometimes God pours out his wrath by abandoning a person. And that is a punishment. When he abandons them, leads them to their own devices. And that's what he did with, with Samson. Because Samson's continued sin led him to forfeit God's presence in his life. And to forfeit God's power. We see this in Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs, the first chapter. 24 through 31 and we and we see this principle uh, played out Proverbs 1 verse 24 Job Psalm Proverbs 
Proverbs 1, verse 24 through 31 says this. These are the words of Solomon to his son. Look at this. This is uh, the call of wisdom. Because I have called you and you have refused. Go back to verse 20 and just look at the context of this. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. How long will you simple ones? We love simplicity for scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Here it is. Verse 24. Because I have called you and you refuse, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdain all my counsel and would not have and would have none of my rebuke, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they had hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. This is what happens when you reject the wisdom of God. That's what Solomon is saying there. I called upon you and you refused. So with Samson, we see this. He was chosen by God from his birth. But God departed from him. He departed from him. Why? Because Samson forfeited the power of God's presence with his sin. And when we forfeit God's presence because of sin, God's power because of sin, guess what? We're going to reap the consequences of it also. God does turn people over to their rebellion. That's Romans 1. He turns them over okay you want that you can have it you want to continue in that sin go ahead you don't want to repent you don't want to turn you want to keep rebelling go ahead but you're going to pay for it and that's what happened with Samson I'm going to read these last two verses and we'll, we'll finish the rest uh, verse uh, 23 through the rest of the chapter uh, next week so the Philistines took him and look what they did to him. His pagans were evil. They put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters like uh, shackles. And he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now, it was fitting that Samson was first blinded during his imprisonment because, you know, he was, a, he was attracted to ungodly relationships by what he saw. His attraction for women had brought him to bondage. 
It had to be a physical attraction. So it's very ironic that his eyes were gouged out for that. So they bound him. Sin has its wages, people. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But to get the God's eternal life through Christ Jesus. This was Samson's payday. Think, sin had left him blind. Sin left him in bondage, in, in those fetters. And sin left him as a slave. Because he became a grinder. This is what sin does. Sin leaves us blind to the spiritual truths of God. Leaves us blind to the inheritance that we have in Christ when he saves us. Leaves us blind by leaving us in spiritual darkness. Sin is bondage. It keeps us in chains. It keeps us from experiencing the freedom that we have in Christ. The Christian life is not a restrictive life. It is a free life. You're free to worship your creator, whom you were designed, who you were created to worship. There's no bondage in the Christian life. There's freedom. But sin puts you back in bondage. Sin puts you back in chains. And the third thing, sin leaves you as a slave. You become a slave to sin. You become enslaved to the sins that you give yourself over to. You hear people talking, oh, freedom to sleep with whoever you want to. You're actually in bondage. You're actually in slavery to those things. We're called to be slaves to Christ, slaves of Christ, not slaves to sin. Paul talked about that in Romans 6, that we should no longer be slaves to sin but slaves to righteousness. But when you're in sin, guess what? You're a slave. You're a slave to Satan. You're, in, you're, you're uh, a slave to the world. The worldly ideologies, the worldly philosophies. You're enslaved to the world's way of doing things, which always leads to misery and destruction. You're, you're a slave to your flesh, your sinful flesh, your sinful desires you're a slave to obey your flesh whatever your flesh says do you do your flesh has mastery over you and then you are enslaved to the devil you become his minion you become his little imp you do what he desires you to do why because you're under his control he's not your adversary you're on his side. People who are in sin are slaves to the devil. They do the devil's bidding. The devil's bidding is rejection of God, rejection of God's truth, rejection of God's people, rejection of all that is light, all that is good, all that is glorious, all that is that is worthy. So you're enslaved to those things. You're blind, you're in bondage, and you are a slave. But you're not left hopeless. Because guess what we see in this story? Samson's hair began to do what? Grow back. God gave Samson hope in the midst of 
this dungeon. There is hope for those who are blind to sin, who are in bondage to sin, and who are slaves to sin. There is hope, and the hope is found in Christ. Some people are in bondage to adultery. They're in, they're in bondage to pornography. They're in uh, bondage to a lying tongue or to gluttony or to gossiping or any other type of sin, drugs, all those things. Guess what? There is hope in Christ, but you have to come to Christ. You're not totally hopeless because you have Christ. And what does he do? He comes to set us free from that bondage. And we're going to see that next week when we finish this story about Samson. I think that's a good landing place. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you. We see Samson and we see that he behaved foolishly and, and rebelled against you. And Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we're guilty of that too. We sin against you in many ways. Lord, you're so, you're so good to us. You provide us a way out of sin. Lord, we know that sin blinds. Sin places us into bondage and sin makes us slaves. Lord, thank you for setting us free from those things. We pray for others who are not set free yet. Who are still blind to your truth, blind to the gospel, blind to who Christ is. Those who are in bondage to their sins and those who are in slavery. We pray for them, Father. And Lord, just bless us, bless our souls with this message. Let it resonate with us as we go throughout the rest of this week, as we go to work the next two days or three days and until we meet again on the Lord's day may the grace of the Lord and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all in Christ's name Amen Amen